Did everyone make it back? I'm here. I think we did. I thought it was hilarious, though, that the moment I started going on about how we're communicating over a cellular connection because we don't have internet out here, Skype just goes berserk. (laughs) (laughs) The one factor that stays consistent is the internet. It's the programs surrounding it that tend to fail. Everybody and welcome to episode six. That's like five plus one of the flight test community cast. Today we have a, a well. I'm really excited for today's guest because he he kind of takes me back to the early days of of my uh, existence and my fascination with flying things and building things out of uh, balsa powered by rubber bands and. Never having great success with it, but I loved it no matter what. And and that guy is none other than Joshua Finn. Oh, Doctor, Doctor Joshua Finn. Welcome. Hey. And, and hey, oh, oh welcome. and but forgive me. Who else is here? We also have <laughs> Hope Finn as a guest tonight. Yeah. Uh, she shares in Yay. the hobby, shares in the passion, and that's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Welcome to the fun, everybody. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah, Patrick has this tendency of scaring people, so don't worry. I only scare Allison. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She's terrified of me. I don't know what I did. It's still true. Still to this day. What, what happened? Only, How? Only responds in emojis still. <laughs> I'll have Sharon talk to her and it'll all work out. I'm really starting to get so. a complex. Uh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we just got to get your kids on the same page, isn't that right, Pat? Yeah, right. The ones at school, I need to have them terrified of me. If only. Yeah. If only. So who else is here? Well, of course, you got Mike Finley. And me, Joel Cannon. How's everybody this evening? Happy New Year, everyone. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Yes. So a lot of festivities and fun surely must have been had. How is everybody's New Year? Uh, nice and quiet so far. Excellent. I had a great time. We blew things up here. <laughs> Sounds like you had as good of a time as I did. You win. Yes. Um, yeah, I had friends in town. We had about 10 people uh, staying at the house. So, um, yeah, it was much festivities had by all uh, locally here. I've been rather absent from the group this week because of um, I, I had... Luckily, gotten a day off of work on Thursday, so I've had four straight days off. So I've thoroughly been enjoying them. Awesome. <laughs> yes, but aside from New Year's, what has everybody been up to uh, in RC stuff this week? Let's start with Pat. Oh, 
me again. Okay, uh, I've actually been up to a lot. I've been um, I've been really productive over the break. Uh, I completely rebuilt. I completely rebuilt, but I fixed everything that needed to be fixed on the uh, E Flight Super Cub from from my little crash. Uh, I even started rebuilding my Maxford USA Stearman, and it is going along really nicely. Uh, so hopefully within the next few weeks, definitely by springtime, it will be flying again, which is awesome because it is my favorite airplane. Uh, and in sitting in front of me right now, I have been working on my, uh, oh, what is it? Astroflight. Astroflight ASW-15 sailplane, 100-inch wingspan. Um, it is unpowered, so it's either going to be a high start launch or... If I can find somebody to tow me up, that'd be fun too. So I, I I've been a busy little beaver. Um, yes, you have. And, and then I yeah. then I just sealed a deal for a really cool sailplane on Craigslist for a ridiculous price. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more on that update when it comes in. But I, I understand that you also hung out with some people this week as well and we're doing some slow I slow, did yes slow uh, a couple of guys from my club um, first my sailplane buddy my my full scale sailplane pilot buddy uh, he called me up and, and said hey I'm going to such and such a field it's a good day to slope soar uh, meet me there and I was like uh, well I got this stuff to do and he's like dude meet me there I said, okay, your argument is very compelling. So I met him at the field, which, by the way, is like five minutes from my house. I never knew it was there. Uh, it, it's Apparently, it's not used very often. Only two or three guys fly at it anymore. And I guess the entire club only has like 15 members or so. And they're, usually, they're using an alternate field now. But uh, this field is on a county park. So the grounds are maintained by the county park. So even if nobody ever uses it, it's still a really nice little flying field. It's small, it's surrounded by trees, so it has its drawbacks. But there is an opening in between, uh, along one, one side of the runway between trees that is maybe 40 yards, maybe 50 yards wide. And it is at the top of a hill and the wind was coming straight up the hill. So we tossed the guys radian and we sloped it and it was a lot of fun uh, until he landed it for the third time in the tree and this time it stayed there and didn't come down. So we oh, had no. to, well, well, we performed a rescue operation the next morning and uh, it was quite successful. I, I have to say I'm very skilled with the fishing rod and my aim was really good and we got it down. Uh, there's even a video of it. I, look, check this out. It took me four casts, first cast off target, second cast on target. But then as we were pulling on the, the, limb, the, the fishing line, it broke. So retied the weight that I had on third cast uh, off target, fourth cast dead on over the tail, ended up breaking the plane loose by, by pulling on the fish line. And, and the darn fishing line wrapped around the tail of the, the plane after it fell out. So I lowered it to him gently into oh, his waiting wow. hands. I was pretty impressed with myself, I have to say. <laughs> I'm good. Well, you, I'm sure, have more skill with a fishing pole than I will ever, ever have. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, you also had some, some other people up as well. Uh, 
in your area, didn't you? Oh, I forgot about them. No, I'm not done with oh, my slope story. Soaring story. Okay. <laughs> but thanks for funny because I did completely forget about that. Yeah, um, terrible. <laughs> oh, that's what you were getting at, Joel. Okay. Yeah. It's been a long break. It's been really nice. <laughs> <laughs> so so after rescuing the radiant from the tree, we, we went over to another county park. It's called High Point County Park here in York County, Pennsylvania. Um, and it's right along the Susquehanna River. And it gets its name because it's the highest point within visible range. And it's an absolutely beautiful uh, setting. You're on this hill, this grassy hill on the, the highest point around overlooking the Susquehanna River and the whole valley, and it's incredibly beautiful and a cool place to fly. So we were trying some slope soaring there, and it was we were being successful with, with the Radian, and then uh, the other buddy, Dilip, who was along, he brought his Whippet, and he was flying that a little bit. Um, so on the other side of the river, uh, about, I don't know, a five-minute drive from where we're at is a place called Chickie's Rock, and it's renowned for slope soaring on the eastern, well, out in the mid-Atlantic area. So we decided to take a run over there and see if anybody's flying or just give it a shot. Uh, nobody was there. It was just the three of us. Um, it, and, oh, my gosh, it was so much fun. I, I had never uh, really experienced flying like that before. It's about a 200-foot, 80-degree drop. Uh, over this cliff and it, there's a small grassy park uh, where a there's a 90 the the cliff face makes like a 90 degree angle so there's a the west facing slope meets a north facing slope so you get a you get a corner a notch in there and the lift coming off of there was tremendous and there's there's dozens, all kinds of soaring birds just ripping right along the the, the edge of the uh, the cliff, uh, for, and they're like right at eye level all the way up till nothing. They're nothing but specks, and they're using this lift just, and they're getting up that high, and it's cool to watch them do it, and then try to do it yourself and fail miserably. Uh, <laughs> but but no, again, it's incredibly beautiful. I'll I'll send uh, I'll send you. A couple of videos or some pictures of the area because it is it is you could put those uh with the article um yes. because it is just it's it's stunning and the air was so smooth i, I couldn't believe it i i actually flew my buddy's whip it i was sloping my buddy's whip it in like 12 to 15 mile per hour winds and it was i i just could hold it in one spot i just parked it because the air coming up that slope was just so smooth yeah, whatever happened to your DLG? Because weren't you going to fly that? Yeah, well, it had some issues, Joel. I, I actually, uh, I, I don't think I talked about this uh, earlier when we were chatting, but uh, I did fly it today. Um, oh! Yeah, it, it's the Hobby King Mini DLG, and, and Josh, you, you have some things to say about that. Yes, I Little, do. I'll wait. Not Joel. Josh! <laughs> I... I do. Uh, unfortunately, I think ours is almost as broken as yours right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that would be I, operator error in our case. Well, I, I'm going to blame Hobby King for, for my issues, but it's very well possible that it might have been my fault partly too. So I don't really know what I'm doing with it. Uh, but but I took it out back today and flew it, and it was really bad conditions because I, I fly on the lee side of a hill, 
So there's nothing but drop <laughs> on this Ooh. side. So throw it up and I get it up and about as soon as I could get it leveled off and, and under my control where I felt comfortable with it, it, it just dropped vertically to the ground. It wasn't, uh, it was gentle, but it just came down at a pretty fairly lively clip because the air was dropping on that side of the hill. And I walked mm-hmm. all the way up to the front of the property, uh, which is a cemetery. There's a gap. There's a pretty decent sized field between my backyard and where the developed part of the cemetery starts. So I went all the way up front in kind of an open area, hoping to get up high enough to catch, catch the air coming up off the other side of the hill. And I, I just couldn't get it high enough to take advantage of that. Um, but it was, it was kind of interesting though, because, uh, I've always uh, this is something that's weird about me, but I've always loved just watching how something moves in the air, like a bird or a chuck glider or whatever. Ever since I was a little kid, just loved trying to envision what the air was doing by watching what the plane was doing. And a couple times, there's there, it's a pretty nasty rotor was coming coming over the top of that hill where the 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 air is basically kind of in a I don't know. It's like a drum rolling sideways. Hmm. So, so I toss the, the DLG up, get it leveled out and start to fly. And then all of a sudden it just start going up and down like, (laughs) and then it would hit the drop and break down to the ground. So I, I flew it a few times until the, uh, rudder control horn fell out. Oh, and I was done. Yeah. But luckily the dihedral, uh, uh, righted the plane before it smacked into the ground, and it landed itself pretty well with with me only having elevator or yeah elevator control. So okay. so those were my uh, my soaring adventures for this week. Uh, and since you reminded me, yeah, I did have a couple people come up. Uh, I guess it was last Wednesday. Uh, Joshua Orchard and Ryan Papp, crash recovery from the uh, forum, uh, came up for a while, and we spent the uh, we spent the day just kind of monkeying around here in the basement and building and having a good time it was fun excellent oh, yeah. glad you got some all seeing this week how about you mikey i the only thing that i did is i actually for christmas got the uh air hogs x-wing fighter oh you did <laughs> yes and i maidened it but that thing is like really underpowered so i think i'm gonna have to do something with it to increase the power Rocket motors. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think I'm going to do that. But uh, yeah, I, I remember I do, the. Go ahead, Mikey. I do have another Air Hogs little quad that I'm thinking about taking two of the motors out of it and putting it in there to see if it's got a little more power oh, with ooh. those. That's a good idea. Something. Yeah, I was something say, to play. Yeah, I remember the uh, flight test episode. They were having some uh, issues with uh, the canards. Was that an issue with yours or no? No, not at all. It just it was just underpowered because it just really. I mean, especially when you went into any kind of a turn at all, it would just immediately lose altitude and start dropping. What uh, what what kind of battery does it fly with? I don't know that because I haven't taken it apart yet. Oh, uh, you don't know if it's one cell or two cell or what? It's. My guess would be a one, but I don't know. Throw a two-cell in that sucker and watch what happens. Either it's going to burn up or you're going to have a, a good Well, that's what it. I'm worried about. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about ESC, so. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Experiment. 
<laughs> well, that's why I figured I would take that uh, little quad out of there because that one's got a lot more power than the X-Wing does. So I was thinking about just taking the motors out of it, playing with it. Cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But it does look really cool in the air when it's flying straight. When oh. it's flying straight, that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what percentage of time would you say that is? Um, I don't know, eight, ten seconds. <laughs> oh, that's better than I would have wow. thought. Wow, that is that is pretty impressive. I got I got one I got one circuit out of it, which was probably thirty or forty seconds, but that was it. I was gonna say, was that out of luck, or was that out of you controlling the thing? Uh, that was more out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that that thing looks inherently unstable to begin with. So, well, with the front guards on it, it's actually pretty good. Hmm. It's just because the front canards are clear, you can't see them. And, you know, it, it looks really good in the air, though. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the way it looks. Cool. Excellent. I just, had, I just wish it had better electronics in it. But, you know, mm. whatever. That's good, though. I'm glad That's you had about, success with it. Yeah, it, it was okay. I mean, like I said, it just needs more power. Of course, mm. I'm, I'm pretty much that way anyway. I always want more power. More power. More power. <laughs> We all want more power. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. <laughs> love it. Love it, love it, love it. So that's that's all I've done. I haven't done much since. Yeah. Since, since your two new aircraft in your fleet. Yeah, I, I, I still need to get out and fly the P-51. I have not done that yet. But. Yeah, I was going to say, what's, what's the situation with your AMA stuff? Have either of you guys uh, renewed yet? No. I have not no. renewed. I have not... Uh, registered with the FAA either. Yep. Same with me. How about you, Josh and Hope? We have renewed because we have to, because, you know, representing the United States of America supposedly or some nonsense of that nature, but uh, ah, not right. not about to register. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, no well, I, I, believe, I believe free flight, you don't have to register if I'm correct. Supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, and uh, with uh, I was going to say, I remember us having the conversation during our unedited podcast that if they catch wind of you guys uh, being completely controlless, that it could cause some issues. So it's probably best that they stay well clear of that. Yeah, we we don't want them to know what we really do. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. None of us do. No. <laughs> no. The, the less they know, the better, probably. But <laughs> indeed, oh, that's too funny. Too funny. Well, I'm glad you've uh, you've had some uh, RC stuff because I know it's been hard with the weather recently, Mike. Yeah, it's been terrible. But that's yeah. all right. What about you, Joel? Um. So I got to think about it now. Um. It was Saturday of last weekend um actually it was the weekend of week of christmas that's right <laughs> the day we released the podcast um ah. i got out and uh i actually took the mini dlg from hobby king that i had out after some careful adjustments recommended by our good friend here josh thank you very much for all of your recommendations and setup because i yes. did everything that you suggested and Sweet. oh my goodness gracious that thing was great in the air um yeah it was amazing um so i had taken out the quad 
um, for some FPV flying. Um, and I did my first couple of circuits FPV with the quad and it was great. Um, but I quickly realized after the third flight that I really need to put a really loud beeper on it because I landed it right in the uh, underneath palm tree because there was someone coming in for a landing. So I ditched it to make sure that I didn't hit it. Um, oh, that's nice. yeah, cause you know, I, I'm respectful like that. Yeah. Um, and instead of going crossways over the runway, like I was doing, I figured I'd ditch the quad because I know that frame can take it. Um, so I ditched the quad and I didn't realize it, I lost video signal as I was coming down. Of course, the thing is still programmed up to my tactic receiver. So I didn't have telemetry in it. So I didn't have a bloody clue where it was. Um, okay. so I scanned the field and by scan the field, I mean, I walked five miles all the way around for about 35, 40 minutes, uh, oh, trying wow. to search for it. And it ended up being right on the other side of the runway. Um, <laughs> and because no one was watching me fly, uh, of course the thing is relatively dark and because of us being on a hill, um, yeah, well, needless to say, I need to put a beeper on it. Um, so, with that being said, I was like, you know what? It's probably good that I leave the FPV stuff here for the day. So I took the DLG out instead, and I probably threw that a good hundred times um, that wow. afternoon. Um, it just it performed fantastically well. Um, I got more confidence in my throwing ability, so I was throwing it harder and I was throwing it higher. Um, I think I've pretty much ironed out my technique now, which was it felt really fantastic. Um, what was so nice about it is my fingertips were more sore than my arm was. So I know I'm probably gripping the pegs a little too hard. Um, but the uh, Crow, I currently have it mounted on a bad switch. It's not that the switch is bad, it's just bad placement. So when I'm taking off, it's got spoilerons, just about two millimeters of spoilerons, the exact setup you recommended, Josh. Um, and uh, the thing flies out of your hand like it's nothing and as soon as you keel it over i have to flick the switch to take it into regular flying mode when mm -hmm. i do that however it's on it's on a it's on a switch which is kind of in an awkward position so i need to move it to a bigger more accessible switch my hands just can't get to it before i i dip the nose and by the time i get to it the nose porpoise is over so i was actually throwing it without any spoiler arms for a good amount of time so that was fun been there, um, done that. Yeah, so that that was. It so was, hey, yeah, go can, for it. Can I ask a question for for my own uh, my own knowledge here? What what yeah. kind of uh, control throws are you guys using on the elevator and rudder? Mine are tiny um, because it's really maneuverable. Um, I probably yeah. have it um, on my Tyrannus. I have weight. Well, I this is probably going to be meaningless, but I have it of. A weight of 30 in the controls um, with 60% expo and I have offset of about 20% if that makes any difference to you Pat. What, what do you mean by offset? So because of the way that the servos were in the box I had to adjust the servo offset so that means I get more downward push than th uh, than upward pull oh so differential it a, okay right it's a little bit yeah, more gotcha. differential in the in the ailerons and gotcha. it just gives it a, a little yeah. bit of a tighter turn 
Um, so oh, yeah. I've got about a little bit of offset to to compensate for that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm and, still running ridiculous control throws right now, so I need to dial yeah, that in. Yeah, dial Can I jump in? Yeah, go for it. Okay, uh, so uh, since I like to thermal at as low a speed as I can get away with, with getting behind the lift curve, I like very, very big control throws, like 30 degrees on the Hobby King DLG for rudder and elevator. Oh. Um, wow. I uh, usually drop that back to about 20 on a, on a full-size DLG where you've got ailerons to help you along. You only need about uh, 15 degrees on your ailerons, uh, except you also need 90 degrees of downward travel on your ailerons if you have those for your landing mode. Yes, I was actually so, going to say, okay. I, I have exactly that set up as well. So on the throttle stick, I have it set that if it's at full throttle, the ailerons are at zero. Um, and then when I see my travel doesn't get quite as far as 90, I think I probably have it at about 60, 70 degrees. Um, uh, but that's, that, that's absolutely enough for it to practically stop in midair. Um, and I also mixed in just a little bit of up elevator so that the nose doesn't go straight down when uh, you dip the throttle stick back. Um, because I noticed that as soon as, um, as soon as I hit the air brakes, the nose tended to drop. So I dialed in, I, I think it's like three or four millimeters of uh, up elevator. And that seems to have corrected the problem very nicely. That's interesting, um, Joel, because normally they will try to pitch straight up when you drop flaps. Yeah, I, I don't know whether that's because of the nose weight that I have in it, but yeah, I, I noticed that I just needed just a tiny little bit of elevator just to compensate for the for the uh, flaps, which now I dialed that in, it, it practically pitches up and uh, it drops really nicely. In fact, I did have a couple of really nice hand catches, which I was very, very proud of. <laughs> oh, Rightfully so. Yeah, so uh, considering I'd been flying the DLG that very day, it was its maiden, and it was the first time that I'd ever thrown a DLG and flown a glider all in the same day, and I was already doing hand catches, so I was very, very proud of myself. Um, it was great. I had a really good time. I was, uh, I was getting to know how what it felt like to go through a thermal and to cross over the wind and have it sail around and where the best areas of lift were on the field. And I was picking up a couple of thermals, which was really nice. Um, but I think my longest flight time was only a minute, minute and a half. So it was, it wasn't big, but it was, it was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed that. That's great. So yeah, that's yeah. really good. And then I've, go I've got it. maybe max of six seconds so far, maybe 10. <laughs> Yeah, you need to practice more there, Patrick. Well, <laughs> come, come I down need to, to go to the right side of the hill. <laughs> come down to my field because we have some wicked thermals that pick up off the hills. It, it's not so much now because of the temperatures, but on the day I was flying, it was 89 degrees. Christmas Eve, 89 degrees, and I was oh, picking up goodness. some really lovely thermals off of it. So that was great. That's silliness. Uh, Yes, it is. It was absolutely ridiculously hot here for Christmas. Um, and then that Sunday was the air show where I met uh, Ben from our yes. little group as right, well. Right, so right. that was great. Um, and I also met another member of the forums as well. Um, and uh, that was Michael, uh, Michelangelo. Uh, he is very prevalent in the uh, flight test uh, fan page. Um, he flies at his... <clears throat> 
his house actually sits on a cruster inland um, in Apopka, which is about 15 minutes north of me. Um, and he sent me some flight videos, so I'll share those of his FT Explorer. And they look great. They really look great. Um, cool. He had some really great success with that plane, and uh, he sent me the flight videos of his FPV experience with it. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting mine finished up, which I'll be done with that very, very soon. Nice. Nice. So that was the extent of my flying. I was supposed to actually go racing today for multi-GP, um, but with the rain and everything, I didn't particularly care to get my equipment ruined, so I decided to postpone that, and I will be attending the practice race, uh, which is at the end of January, and then the points race is on February the 7th, I believe. Are you competing? Yep, I am officially Oh, nice. Awesome. So there's two that I'm a part of, Torches, which is the Heli Club, which is not too far from here, um, has a race course that they sometimes run, but they don't run it as often. It's Rosa Races, and they're based in, on Lanster Road uh, here in Orlando. So I will be attending those races uh, coming right. up here in February. And that's cool. all for uh, uh, multi-GP? Yep, that's right. Multi-GP. Oh, yep. So um, the, the way that they operate is it's basically on a point system. Um, so you race for points. The ones with the most points qualify for the um, different regionals. And then from regionals, you go to um, the nationals. So I'm not by any means planning on getting to the regionals. But I just want to get my foot in the door and gain some points and get some credits well, while I can and that's five, exciting I had no idea you were doing that yeah five five dollars a race it's not bad at all oh wow nice so I will be doing that with my uh, HMB which I have nicknamed the Red Ripper so ah. yeah <laughs> after the uh, red blades that it spins and the red standoffs that I have and thank you Ryan Pap, for my secret Santa gift because now I have extras that I can play around with woohoo so yes, excellent. So, so Josh Finn, hope that. Yeah. yeah. Tell us what have you been up to? Uh, I think uh, most of ours. Well, we've done a little bit of RC flying over over the holiday, mainly this afternoon, which involved um, Hope getting exposure to the fact that I have excessively high throws on my DLG, and that led to a cracked tail boom. Oh. Ooh. And uh, but other than that, um, mainly been doing free flight stuff. I've been working on these elliptical dihedral F1D wings, and uh, I, I successfully got one built, and it flies great. Uh, but the second one has been an epic fail. Uh, it it just was a, a long series of of bad things, and I should have known that this was going awry and that I needed to start over. But I felt committed because it took so much time to make those wing tips. And so in, instead of calling it quits when I should have, I've spent a bunch of expensive covering film uh, trying to rescue it, and it's toast. Oh, uh, that's too bad. That's the, the good news is I uh, got some more glider stuff built. Uh, I had a set of not very good, uh, well, in my opinion, the paint job was terrible, uh, a set of wings that I finished for... Uh, the the production version of this rocket glider we're working on 
and mentioned on a forum that I had them and that they weren't that great and and yeah within uh, about 12 hours I had them sold off oh uh, cool so very yeah nice. that worked out very nicely um, so made back uh, most of the money but I, actually I guess all of the money that I had spent to get the vacuum pump to replace the failed vacuum pump we had oh wow uh, that's that's that great so nice. how many with one set of wings yes Yes, it's a pretty sweet deal. To, uh, we're at the right place at the right time. We're very blessed. That's um, great. That's, that's really great. So, yeah, we're yeah, building. So, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I can go on endlessly. That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I, I, honestly, at this point, I, I forget what I was going to ask you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll forgive so go you. Ahead. Just don't ever do it again. <laughs> and edit point. <laughs> I don't need to edit that. Oh darn it! No, 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 no. And by edit point, I mean I have another sound bite against Patrick. Oh, well, nice. I love these. I'm a I'm a wealth of self incrimination. <laughs> yes. You certainly are. Yeah. Thanks for the attention. Oh, that was great. Oh, that was one really of the great. endearing qualities of Patrick. Yes, indeed. Yes. Exactly. Oh, that was very funny. So, so, so we'll go back. <laughs> yeah, we. I definitely want to get into, uh, you know, what your your business side of things today. Uh, before we wrap everything up here, and hopefully not anytime soon, because I'm pretty excited to talk to you about lots of stuff. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to make sure that, you know, you get a chance to tell people what okay, you well, do and yeah, what your marketing. Say, that kind that's of stuff. probably that's the best cool. place to start off with. So Josh, well, and wait, 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 well, I was going to say, are they done with their, uh, their update, what they've been up to in RC this week? I haven't even heard from hope. Um, let's see. I, uh, crashed Josh's mini LD. LDG. DLG. DLG. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. I crashed it once into a tree and three times straight into the ground. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's actually why his is broken right now is because I crashed it straight into the ground. I and, have two more uh, where that came from. Uh, yeah, 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 then I redeem myself by uh, winding up one of my free flight models and flying that. That one flew very well. So excellent! Awesome. Oh, I'm really glad uh, about that. Indoor or outdoor? Outdoor. Awesome! Excellent! Very very nice. One of the great successes of our lives is that we have gotten a job in a in a part of the country that there's a lot of uh, load population density. And so we live on almost 20 acres of uh, very nice land out here in the middle of nowhere. Most of it's cleared. Oh, We're wow. going to clear more of it. Uh, so we go out in our backyard uh, and, and we fly. And when it's calm, we fly rubber models and electric free flight and rockets and all the good stuff. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. You're, you're living and, your childhood dream, buddy. And uh, when a plane gets stuck in a tree repeatedly, we uh, we back the the drive the bulldozer up next to that tree, and we rip it out yeah. by the roots. 
<laughs> That's one way to do it, and as they we, say. <laughs> and then we pick it up and haul it over to the burn pile and burn that bad boy. We're, we're going to learn that tree today. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's a great, great way of recovering airplanes if there ever was one. If said problem is a tree, just cut said tree down. No, don't even have to cut it. Just knock oh, it over. Just knock, knock it over. over and leave it there. Set it on fire. Set it on fire. Leave it alone. Don't touch our airplanes ever again. You'll learn your lesson the hard way. Lesson to all the other trees out there. Back off. So, the two of you. Now, how long have you guys been married? Um, We'll be married four years in June. Okay, and, and you've got a baby that is what about one now ish? He is. Um, he'll be nine months this week. Oh, okay. Oh, happy so birthday, Caleb! Yeah, that's congrats. He keeps getting into he keeps getting into that spool of carbon fiber. I need to put that somewhere else. <laughs> just, just show him what you do to a tree with a bulldozer that messes with your stuff. <laughs> that's great. So, so now, Hope, were you, were you into any of this uh, as a hobby before you met Josh? No, I was not. I did not even okay. know anything about it before, we, uh, before I met him. Oh, cool. So, that, that, see, now I've tried to get my wife to, like, go to the flying field with me a couple of times, and she just looks at me like I have three heads. Uh, and and I can't even convince my kids. I have two boys. They're 17 and 19 now. I can't even convince them to fly anything. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It makes my heart sad. So, so I think it's awesome that you guys have that to do together. Absolutely. Really? It is. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. As, as they, uh, the boys in Ohio have said several times, the family that stays together play or plays together, stays together, I think is their line. Um, and you guys definitely embody that. So uh, thank you for being inspirational to the whole community. Um, and I was going to say, I, I've met you guys. I've hang, hung out with you. You've had the uh, fun of meeting my better half. And she, she, like Patrick, looks at me real funny every time I say, hey, let's head out to the flying field. Come see what I'm doing. Or, hey, look what I did in the hobby. She's like, wait, well, you did what now? Is that English? Are you, are you communicating in words that I can understand? Um, yeah, so I, I, I always get excited for like the little things that I'm able to accomplish. And she's like, that, that's very nice, sweetheart. I'm glad you did that. Good for you. Good. Exactly. So I'm really <laughs> glad to hear that. So, uh, let, let's talk about, let, I, I think this is a really good place to transition the conversation to probably the part of the hobby that I am most curious about. Um, and that's your indoor record holding F1D models. So... If you wouldn't mind just taking a couple of minutes and describing what exactly F1D is, what qualifies an airplane for it, and what what is it that you've been able to achieve in that category? Okay. Um, probably we ought to back up a little bit and explain indoor free flight at its, at its core, which is it is really the original form of aviation in general. The very first sustained powered flight was an indoor free flight. Uh, it was an ornithopter. It, it flapped its wings. That was in 1870. And uh, Alphonse Pinald of France uh, led on with that and 
developed these various rubber-powered airplanes, most of which he flew indoors predominantly. And uh, that carried on into the late 1800s with, uh, when folks started trying to push the performance limits. So they developed these things called twin pushers, which uh, it's two propellers at the back with two rubber motors running up front. It's a canard. And um, they're easy to fly because they, they um, don't really require a lot of stability input. Um, they didn't understand stability back then, so that's what they went with which uh, it's two propellers at the back with two rubber motors running up front. It's a canard. And um, they're easy to fly because they, they um, don't really require a lot of stability input. Um, they didn't understand stability back then, so that's what they went with. Uh, which uh, it's two propellers at the back with two rubber motors running up front. It's a canard. And um, they're easy to fly because they... They um, don't really require a lot of stability input. Um, they didn't understand stability back then, so that's what they went with. In the 20s, uh, the United States and Great Britain and Germany all started building these huge airship sheds for, uh, for their dirigibles. And in the late 20s, a group of folks got together and contacted the U.S. Navy and said, hey, can we fly in that big hangar up there at uh, Lakehurst Naval Air Station? The Navy granted them permission. And so the first major indoor contests held in the world were held in the United States at Lakehurst Naval Air Station, which is where we still fly today. It has a 175-foot ceiling, and it is the mecca for F1D. Oh, fantastic. Wow. Um, That's awesome. Or in the late 30s, Carl Goldberg, who some of you may have heard of from radio-controlled designs, um, yes. Carl Goldberg developed something called microfilm, which is, in simple terms, you pour uh, plasticized dope onto water, and it spreads out in a thin sheet, and then the, uh, the thinners in it gas off, and now you're left with this extremely thin, almost monomolecular uh, film, which you can, if you're very careful, you can lift it off the surface of the water on a frame, and you can cover your indoor models with it. There's only one problem with microfilm, and that is that if you touch it, you will leave a hole where you touched it. Oh. So, it is unbelievably difficult to handle. I know from experience, because I, I used it for a while. And that drove the development of F1Ds in the late 90s. Uh, in the 60s, they got interested in doing a world championship class for indoor free flight, and it was entitled F1D. And initially, there was only one rule other than that they had to be heavier than air and rubber-powered, and that rule was no more than a 90-centimeter wingspan. That is a okay. huge indoor model. The, at the very first world championship, they were seeing flights over 45 minutes. That, wow. was in, oh, that was in the early 60s. So very quickly they said, uh, models this size are ridiculous. Let's cut the wingspan down to 65 centimeters, which is uh, about 26 inches. And okay. that the law of unintended consequences kicked in. Uh, a, a fellow, a, a control line racing, 
flyer uh, from the Midwest by the name of Jim Richmond saw that and said, I think I can build one of those. And he built one that weighed half of a gram. <laughs> what? Oh, wow. And, <laughs> attended, and attended team selection and got on the team and went to the world championship, his very first world championship, and won. <laughs> um, shocking. So they had two more world championships under those rules, and Jim Richmond wasn't winning those because he was too busy breaking his half-gram airplanes because at that wingspan and that weight, they're pretty ridiculous. So someone in the Ukraine said, and this has set the trend for the rules ever since, someone from the Ukraine said, or someone from Hungary said, you know, Eastern Bloc, uh, they said, well, let's raise the minimum weight to one gram. Everybody thought that was great, and Jim Richmond won again. <laughs> uh, you're you're going to hear that phrase a few more times. Uh, and then people started going for more because it was a one gram, air, one gram minimum weight and a 65 centimeter maximum wingspan, and that was it. Well, pretty soon the airplanes that weigh one gram are, are carrying around almost two grams of rubber, which wound to roughly 10 pounds of tension in some cases. I mean, these things are a time bomb. I mean, if you just look at the motor stick wrong, the airplane literally explodes. And and so they're taking off with all this torque, and it, and it got to be something crazy. Well, those rules stayed that way from the early 70s into the late 90s, and the airplanes got more and more advanced. And Jim Richmond came along in 1981, went to the world championship in Nagoya, Japan. Sorry, that was a 1984 world championship. I apologize. Um, and showed up with a propeller that en enabled him to not climb all the way up on full torque and get his plane stuck in the ceiling. The airplane had this huge propeller and it climbed up and descended back down partway. And then the propeller folded up into a smaller propeller, and the plane climbed back up and descended back down. Wow. Oh, and wow. we've been recovering from that ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Richmond won eight world championships from his uh, first in the late 60s until he retired from F1D in uh, about uh, 2007, 2008, I think wow. it was. So, uh, what, what was the mechanism of this prop folding? Well, it, it sound, it's not variable pitch. It, it, it literally, it like changed diameter. It is a variable diameter propeller. The propeller spars fold up. They have a tiny little rubber band on them that is uh, that fights against the torque of the rubber motor. And when that torque uh, backs below the threshold, the uh, there's a cam gotcha. mechanism that kicks in and folds the blades both in. Uh, they fold across each other, and now you've got a, a smaller propeller. Wow. Um, oh, 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 I, have, I have built those. They are really amazing, and, well, I won't go on about that. There are some secrets. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and I'm sure that wow. you've, you've probably come up with your own very unique building techniques and styles for um, for your F1D models as well. So can you talk a little bit about your championship F1D model specifically? Yes. Um, 
first of all, you can recognize a an F one D flyer by his models if you if you look at enough photos because we each no, none of us build the same design. We they're they're as unique as a signature. Um, I got into F one D in two thousand eleven at the repeated harassment of former team member Nick Ray, who lives up in uh, Atlanta, and. He kept harassing me, saying, you need to do this. Well, I was just coming off uh, having built the Spruce Goose uh, as a free flight rubber model, and I was burned out on free flight scale. So I said, well, fine, I'll try this. And so I started building these things. And that was under the, the rules that were enacted in, uh, in 2000, which was a 1.2-gram uh, minimum weight, uh, 0.6 grams of rubber. They limited the rubber motor. Uh, a 55 centimeter maximum wingspan, which is 21.6 inches roughly, uh, 200 millimeter wing cords, so seven and seven eighths, just under seven and seven eighths inch uh, maximum wing cord, and it can only be monoplanes, um, and a uh, 450 centimeter maximum stabilizer span, which is about 17.7 inches. Uh, and I started off trying to do elliptical dihedral uh, through wet-formed wing surfaces. I wanted to be very, very creative and very distinctive with my designs because that's just one of my artistic ways. And um, had limited success. You know, got the planes to fly. It was pretty cool. Got up to 19 minutes at uh, Johnson City in uh in 2011 at the nationals which felt really good except for the fact that the winning flight times were over 34 minutes wow so oh, dang. yeah yeah that that kind of stung a little so that led me on this race to develop better airplanes well uh coming up to the 2012 contest series uh nick and some other folks got it set up to where we, not, we could go after a regional uh, team selection qualifying contest at, uh, at our flying site in Atlanta. And I almost tied Nick. Uh, that felt pretty good. But that was just because he had not figured out low ceiling flying at that point. Because uh, wow. wow. he... Um, he, had j he was on the team again at that point. He had... Uh, that. The Labor Day before that had put up a 35-minute flight up there at Lakehurst. Uh, so, so he's you know he's he's pretty good at what he does. Well, Nick started saying, you know, I think you should with all this low ceiling stuff, you should go after the Category One record. Well, this is when I was doing 18-minute flights in Category One, and the record was 20, just shy of 28 minutes. Oh my gosh. So, so I started uh, developing various designs um, right before the Nationals. I built a, a wing that I, that I thought was going to be something really special, went up to the Nationals and just did terrible, uh, came back and got married. <laughs> I'm, you think I'm joking. Three, week, three weeks later was, uh, was our wedding. We went off on our honeymoon, uh, came oh, back, nice. got settled in, and went up to Atlanta for the July contest and... Uh, surprise, surprise, I cracked 21 minutes uh, with my new design. Oh, wow. Wow. That felt good. That was our club record. I felt good sitting on my club record. Uh, later that fall, uh, Hope built her first F1D. Um, she can tell you about that later. That was an adventure, but it did fly. It flew very well. Um, did about 15 minutes, which 
we all thought was very good at the time. Uh, I put up the next contest. I put up a uh, uh, 22 and a half minute flight and then took a pause back from things. Well, the December contest, uh, I was grading papers at Clemson and uh, on the day that all the big shots showed up to Atlanta and took away my club record with a 26 oh. minute flight. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh. So, yeah, some, some burn there. And so I spent the next two years trying to get that record back. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I believe it was the fall of uh, 2013 that I got went in there and um, – at this point, I'm looking for a job in an aerospace position, so the F1D thing became a little more, uh, a little less of a game, and more of I actually need this as a set of credentials because I was at this point this record was pretty significant, and we showed up at the contest, uh, one of the fall contests, and by this point we're living across the other side of South Carolina, so it's a five-hour drive to the contests. And I put up a 26-and-a-half-minute flight to retake that club record, and uh, the flight had barely been over for 15 minutes. When Nick had launched his plane during the, uh, as mine was on its way down. And Nick proceeded to beat out my record. Oh. So, but still, we still have not approached the, the national record here. So I've been, I had been experimenting with propellers. I was flying these rectangular winged airplanes like everybody else was. Uh, very conventional stuff. I uh, had gotten very OCD about getting perfect covering jobs. No wrinkles or anything in the covering. Very taut. Uh, so I have exact airfoil shapes and whatnot. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, there's another over a minute here of flight time that I, that I, d I don't understand where it's going to come from. Uh, Nick Ray had developed these wacky elliptical airplanes that, that look like uh, a pair of flying uh, Pringles, except much prettier. Um, and, and he's trying to figure out the same thing because we're neck and neck on, on, on performance. So I went home scratching my head, build an elliptical wing uh, without the elliptical dihedral, just the elliptical plan form, and flew it in our garage, and it didn't fly as well as the, uh, the other wing. So I was like, well, uh, apparently there's more to this than, than met the eye. So the next stunt I tried was I tried a propeller that had failed uh, in the past. I tried making a new one, did a better job on it. And lo and behold, I had a half-motor flight of uh, over 14 minutes in the garage, which was a, a minute improvement over the previous ones. And that's on half-motors, mind you. So uh, full-motor flights of 28 minutes. So I was like, wow, that's pretty good. And right about that time, I was able to get a shipment of the ultimate batch of rubber. I had been flying on uh, new production stuff all this time, and I got the really good stuff. So I hoarded that away, learned how to use it, and then, um, right, ironically, right after I finally got a job, uh, was had about a month delay between signing on the job and actually starting. 
So we made a trip over to Atlanta, and just before that, I pulled out that elliptical wing, and I had noticed that the, the previous wing I'd been using, uh, the, the wing tended to, f the, the ribs tended to flex a lot in flight and get a lot more camber. So I took out a very precise piece of sandpaper and sanded the ribs on that elliptical wing, thinking, you know, it's, it's a worthless wing anyway. I, it doesn't fly as long as the others, so what am I going to lose by, by messing up the ribs on it? Nothing. So let's try it. And I took it out in the garage, and it flew suddenly flew rings around that other setup. I was like, oh, okay, wow. well, we've got our setup. So we went to this contest, <laughs> and... And and lo and behold, we go to this contest, and this character from California that a few of us had heard of was was playing with other classes and had just gotten uh, into F1D and had made the team on his first try. Uh, he showed up to the contest, and he was gunning for that Cat One record as well. Well, I spent. I did a bunch of test flights, and there were things that kept me from getting many flights up. So I put up my first official flight, and it was about 26, uh, 27 minutes, uh, which was good, but not the record. And uh, Nick was banging around in the 27-minute range. This other fellow was in the high 26s. And I looked at my watch and was like, we've got to leave, but I'm not leaving without putting up one more flight. So I made an adjustment to the propeller. Uh, to uh, delay the second climb, as we call it, on our variable pitch propeller hubs because they climb twice. They go up, they descend, then they climb back up. Uh, and I was spending too much time banging on the ceiling, which is just wasted energy. So did that, wound the thing up, and uh, 28 minutes and 17 seconds later, it landed wow. with my first national record, uh, which Ooh, felt wow. really good. Excellent. Wow. Felt really good for a multitude of reasons. One of those reasons was F1D is the pinnacle. Um, the other was that that guy, it felt really good three weeks later when that guy that I beat, Kong, uh, he went off and won the world championship. Okay. So <laughs> it, it felt pretty good having, having beaten him. Um, that that, that I, felt I very good. Go ahead. Josh, I just want to stop and ask you before we get too far along here. Um, you were saying you took your, your flat elliptical wing and you sanded it down. Was that to allow the camber to increase more than it was doing? Yes. Yes. So, see, I would think of that, and I'm like, well, that's increasing drag. Well, it's increasing lift, but it's also increasing drag. So that's, that's very interesting to me. What, what do you think it is about that that gave you longer flight times? Do you, do you really want to jump down the uh, the, the flight yes. dynamics rabbit hole? This, this is why I'm <laughs> excited to talk to you. <laughs> yes. We're dealing with uh, low Reynolds numbers, and I get in this debate with professional aerodynamicists who fly F1D and um, who I occasionally beat. Um, and we, we're convinced that, uh, that, that wings behave in a particular manner. But I started realizing, you know, tip plates have not seen much success on F1Ds, things of that nature. And I started realizing if tip plates are not having an effect in F1D, then that must mean that tip vortices on F1Ds don't exist as we, as we know them. And okay. it started to make sense. We're in laminar flow. 
Uh, in laminar mm -hmm. flow, oh. air behaves like syrup. It doesn't behave the way we're, we think of air behaving. It, it's like syrup. So any disturbances, just you, you disturb that air, and it immediately pops back into whatever it wants to be, which is basically not moving. Uh, yeah. This is why our our propellers are don't have any of those funny scimitar sweat tips, although some people insist on using them. That's why we don't have the those funny shapes on our wing tips or or what have you. Why a, a pure elliptical wing uh, can can win a, a national championship over something that would look like the perfect aerodynamic design. And I think the the same issue falls in with the airfoil thickness is. We're, we're dealing with effectively a single-surfaced airfoil. I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. just one layer of covering, and you've got to get that, that right curvature to develop enough downwash, uh, and, and there's a, a break point between the optimum amount of downwash and creating too much drag, and mm -hmm. if you're too thin, uh, well, you can climb great, but then you fall like a, a manhole cover after you run out of climb power. Whereas you can go with this thicker airfoil, and you may sacrifice some climb. Uh, ironically, I've found that you don't sacrifice very much, and uh, you regain it on the other end because you need almost no power to speak of to maintain level flight. And so you can run these okay. things up. The second climb, I mean, we have these planes tuned where they launch and they're flying around at almost. It, it looks like literally zero degrees angle of attack. Uh, in, in the first climb. I mean, they're running around dead level and, and ascending, so it's almost like negative angle of attack. And then later in the flight, right, okay. they're, just hanging, they're just hanging on that prop, you know, 10 degrees nose up in some cases. Uh, and and that, that thicker airfoil uh, camber, uh, boy, I'm mixing up my terms there, it's not thicker, that deeper camber, uh, seems to really help when you're flying at those higher angles of attack. And I, I, I really can't explain why. One of the funny things is those airfoils that I was using turned out to be awful when I went to higher ceilings where I had to climb more. Uh, I just could not get them to work with those setups. Then they changed the rules on us because um, the Eastern Europeans have the influence and managed to do that again. <laughs> And uh, those airfoils for me have gone the way of the uh, the of the dodo bird because uh, they they weren't working in high ceilings. I started trying another airfoil, and it and uh, lo and behold, not only does it work better in high ceilings, it works better in low ceilings. And it's a, a much more it's a, a conventional airfoil. It is still five percent thick, which is uh, on the on the higher end for F one D. But then my two teammates are also using five percent thick, so maybe there's a, a recurring theme there. Hmm. Right. Very interesting. Now, you know, talk, here's a question that that's always gone through my mind about laminar flow wings. Um, yeah, of course, this is a different realm of flight than, than we're talking about here. But, but take, for instance, the P-51 Mustang. I mean, the thing has a laminar wing, but the laminar wing has to be caused more drag that, than something that would have a more turbulent flow over it, doesn't it? Pat, one of the things you have to understand is that for every rule in fluid mechanics, there is an exception to that rule. <laughs> uh, 
I, I seriously, when I was in grad school, I, I would be talking to the to the fluids guys, and it's like, it's voodoo. Anything you do, you can find an exception to it. You can defy the rule by by playing these these geometry games. Uh, one of the things that you see with the with the Mustang with that wing, laminar flow. There is kind of a misnomer in my opinion because at those flying speeds the air is fully turbulent uh the okay. issue is that you're trying to get the air to behave like it's laminar so you want okay. the uh, particularly on the upper surface at those higher reynolds numbers you want the airflow to actually turbulate along the skin of the the airfoil so you get this very very thin boundary layer so what right. you do is you create this turbulent boundary layer on your laminar flow wing, as it's called, and you get laminar flow across the top of the turbulent layer. I got you. So the laminar flow is occurring above the boundary layer, so to speak. Right. It's it's gotcha. another one of those fluid mechanics games. Now it and makes sense to me. Thank you. There, and, and there's where much you more to it. There is much well, more to it, and I don't know all I, the details, but that's what I do know. But, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I could sit here and have this conversation all night. I, I, I don't want, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah. there are other people that don't find this the most that fascinating thing on earth because I, I do. <laughs> I've always been fascinated by fluid mechanics. Uh, and, um, but, oh, so anyway, uh, where do you stand on the whole Bernoulli's versus Newton's third law in terms of lift? I mean, uh, what percentage? You know, what percentage so is due to Bernoulli? What, there, aren't we? <laughs> Come on, let's go in there. I don't know if the rest of us are. <laughs> okay, Pat. Uh, one of the things I I used to be on the uh, the Newton side of things, and then I realized, you know what? Um, we don't under the textbook explanations of Bernoulli's principles are kind of like news reporting on uh, on presidential elections. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little pontification going on there. There, it's it's complete baloney. They have oversimplified it to the point that is no longer even remotely true. It it no longer corresponds even remotely to the truth. All right, so we have this textbook explanation that okay, we have this pretty little Clark Y airfoil, you know, with lots of curve on the top and almost flat on the bottom, and we say, well, it's flying through the air, and the, it produces lift by the, the the air has to travel a longer distance over the top to to meet the air at at the bottom at the same time. Well, that's actually not true because the air at the yeah, top, that that patch of air at, that, that you're looking at going across the top, it never meets the air uh, on the bottom again. Right. It right. gets the air is compressible, so it doesn't. This idea that the air over the top has to meet the same molecule on the bottom is ridiculous. Exactly. So what happens is you have a your your mean cord line, you know, the farthest point forward on the on the wing and the farthest point aft. Yep. And you measure relative to that. Okay, so if the if that point on the front is higher than the point on the back, and this is the the Newton explanation. This is a simple one that that's not not as hard to understand. And we're going to work Bernoulli across this so that it starts to make a little sense. All right, so if if that point on the front of the wing is higher than the point on the back of the wing, then that means that mm -hmm. a net piece of air that is split. That you know has two, it splits at the leading edge and goes down. Well, both patches of air end up going downward. So that means you have a net downward transport of air. Right. So that is a downward force. 
Right. So you have a an opposite force called lift. But it's not that simple. Because by doing that, by transporting that air downward, you have compressed the air on the bottom and you have decompressed mm -hmm. the air on the top. Mm -hmm. And so when you decompress air, you create suction, which means you're no longer just letting the air slide down the top of the wing. You are sucking the air down the top of the wing, which okay. reduces its pressure further, and we call that Bernoulli's principle. So right. they work, now, basically can... what you're saying is that those two things combined work to produce total lift on a wing. They are inextricably connected. You cannot disconnect them from each other. They are together. And proof of that is the stall of a wing. When you completely separate the airflow over the top of the wing, you lose that downward force, that, that, down, that net downward transport, because the point at which air divides on the front of the wing moves further down, so wing actually goes backwards over the top of the wing, and then air spilling under the trailing edge of the wing spills upwards, so you lose that net upward transport of air, or net downward transport, sorry. Right, right. Now, how, how much of the reduced pressure over the top of the wing is simply due to the momentum of the molecules of air getting thrown upward and then having to be pushed downward again. So, so obviously, to me, those air molecules have to spread apart in that process. I mean, it's obvious in my brain, but God knows what my brain is to, to reality. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Is there a component of that? Is a large component of that reduced pressure simply due to the momentum of the air molecules having to and their need to change direction to move downward? Pat, I honestly, you, you've reached the break in, in my knowledge. Uh, beyond that, you know, this is one of the problems that we run into is we think we know, but we don't really. Uh, you, you, you can't come up with a set of equations that will allow you to determine what's happening over that wing. You have to run a computer simulation. And the problem is the computer simulation itself is based on experimental data. It's not right. based on, on analytical methods. It is an approximation. It's purely experimentally driven. It's a numerical method. And we can approximate what's happening, but we can never get an exact answer. And, of course, once right. you get into laminar flow, I, my personal opinion is it's all pure guessing. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's all it is, is we're, we're guessing at what happening when it comes to laminar flow because we can't really measure laminar flow. Turbulent flow is a little bit easier other than the fact that it's got chaos theory mixed into it. But we, we won't go there tonight. Yeah, that's... No, that's, that, that's I think that answers Patrick's very curious scientific brain. Well, but, but see, these are things that I literally <laughs> sit around and think about. It fascinates me. I yeah, lots of things fascinate you. Squirrels being one of them. <laughs> well, well. Oh, <laughs> yeah, got that yeah. Well, well I, we can't go a podcast. We can't go a podcast without it. <laughs> What's the matter, Joel? Did we geek you out? Uh, no, no, no. I was actually in in in. I was actually Google searching laminar flow and trying to get a basic understanding of what all was being said. <laughs> And my brain has actually now officially processed all that information, and now I am a little bit smarter, so I thank you. 
Go to Smarter so, Every Day on YouTube and you can get more smarter. Yes, I, 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 I love I, that I actually channel. subscribe to that. So it's really good that you brought more that up. More smarter is gooder. Show notes <laughs> for all of this information. Um, but no, I was going to ask you, my next question was going to kind of segue out of F1D um, and segue into F1R, which you also have a record in, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, actually, I only have a record in F1R right now because Kong, that you know, the the reigning world champion, uh, managed to take away my uh, my F1D record this summer. Uh, I'll get him next year. <laughs> actually, no, I'll get him this year, this summer after the world That's championship. Right. I refuse to fly go. low ceiling F1D until then. But anyway, F1R is one of the oldest. Uh, continuous running unmodified uh, competition classes in the world. It was known as the 35 centimeter class, and the farthest I can track it back is uh, the early 1950s, but I think it goes back farther than that. And it didn't make the break across to the United States until the, uh, the 70s when a very big name uh, that, that some of us should recognize, Professor Mark Drela, um, he took it except he wasn't Professor Drela then. He was a, a teenager who was really good at flying toy airplanes, mostly free flight. Uh, set a rack of records, and some of them still stand. Uh, but, but he picked it up, and um, then that introduced it to the rest of us here in, in the U.S., and, uh, and, it, and it has carried on from there. But it's a very simple class. It has stayed the same all the way along, even until the FAI recognized it as... Uh, categorized it as F1R a couple years ago, uh, and the rules are that it has to be, you know, a, a free flight rubber model. Uh, it can't be heavier than air, that that type of thing, and a maximum of a 35 centimeter wingspan, so about 13.7 inches. And that's all there is. It's an, an it's a wingspan limited uh, unlimited class. There's no minimum weight or anything. Uh, and I have never approached what Drela was able to do with his or Tom Iacobellis, who has a, a duplicate of that model. They're in the uh, just over 200 milligrams for, for the weight of theirs. I, mean, I cannot comprehend building one of those that light. Of course, they're, they're microfilm covered and as such very, very fragile. Um, mm -hmm. Mine are plastic covered uh, and weigh about twice as much at uh, in the the mid 400 gram range. I'd like to get down into the 300s. Uh, and we'll we'll try for that eventually. Uh, but I developed a variable pitch propeller for mine, a special hub that I uh, based off of some other people's designs, and I was able to get uh, what I believe to be the world. I, I marketed as such and have. Um, have good proof to, to back my claim that it is the lightest production VP hub on earth. Um, wow. I get them to come in at uh, 28 to 29 milligrams, which is so light and so tiny that you can't even notice it in the palm of your hand unless you're looking and, and seeing it. Uh, I need to get a picture of one sitting on top of a Cheerio sometime because uh, the Cheerio is bigger than the hub. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, they're I think they're the perfect competition class. So does Nick Ray. He and I both fly them. Uh, you can store them in a in an F1D box uh, or, or almost F1D size box, fully assembled. You don't have to take them apart to to go to contests or anything. I mean, they carry so nicely. 
they're well behaved. There's no uh, rubber motor limit on them, so you can put as much rubber as you dare. Uh, they're they're small. They're easy to build. Well, at, no, they're not easy to build. They build fast. They do not build easy. Uh, and that is the one downfall of that class is they're incredibly fragile. Uh, no matter how well you do it, they're they're fragile. They're uh, I mean. And even in flight, you walk past one and it just kind of, your wake as you walk past just kind of splatters it into the floor. So my question is actually for Hope. So Hope, um, what is what is your experience getting into free flight as a beginner and not, not having experience? Um, my experience was, you know, that fall after we got married, um, he got me into uh, the free flight kicking and screaming. And uh, he he basically told me he said I'm I'm tired of you going to these contests and either bored out of your mind or stealing my planes to fly them. So you're building your own. And uh, he said, uh, well, since I'm flying F1D, um, and that was his main goal at the point, he says you're building an F1D. And it took me... Uh, Can I interrupt with some marriage advice? Don't ever ah! do that. Yeah, his the flying buddies thought he was absolutely crazy for doing this. I was. And ah! it took me uh, two weeks and lots of tears. Um, because the ribs kept breaking and everything just kept breaking on me every time I would try to do anything. So... Uh, Finally got it together and thought, okay, this is going to be horrible. It's going to not even fly nice. And we went to the first contest with it, and it flew about 15 minutes. And uh, then he started introducing me to other classes that he um, flew, and I fell in love with it. So... Um, that's really excellent. That is great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, so, no, I... So, so Joshua found a unicorn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the one They're woman. real. They're real. They exist. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, I think that wraps up my line of questioning for you guys. How about yeah, either Pat or Mike? Well, I don't have a lot of questions because I just... I am so just confused by you know <laughs> the conversation well i mean, laugh guys i i don't i i'm not that into it <laughs> it's not that i'm not interested in it i just don't understand it so well let's let's take yeah. a step back uh before we get into um some other finer points uh probably we should talk about a little other of, of the aspects of free flight you know i fly indoor predominantly now but i used to fly outdoor very very heavily and it's a lot simpler um you're mainly you're you're getting decent rubber bands you're winding them up and uh loading them into to tissue covered airplanes and and making them go and the real key is to not buy gillows kits uh to buy uh decent stuff uh, get a hold of the old 1940s era designs, build those. They fly great. They're easy to fly um, and easy to lose. 
and <laughs> it, it gets it gets so much simpler. You don't really worry about aerodynamics or, or what have you. You can fly uh, unlimited class, honestly, on the national level without knowing the first thing about aerodynamics. Um, it, really, it's just building a big airplane, loading a lot of rubber into it, and launching it into a thermal, retrieve, and repeat. And uh, retrieve. Yeah, the, the retrieval part is a little challenging. It involves radio telemetry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So um, my, uh, my question, Josh, is do, have you heard of and or do you use the website altazone.co.uk for your uh, free flight plans at all? Or is there any particular one that you re uh, recommend? Outer Zone is probably one of the best things that has ever happened to free flight. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I actually use that site religiously, and that's where I've pulled the plans for my current build, which is currently on a brief hold, uh, which is the Reliant that I'm working on. So I pulled the plans for that. I will link to that in the show notes. So there is a good amount of plans on there. So is there any particular model on there that you would recommend as a starter? Uh, yeah. Um... Actually, I don't know if it's on there, but if you find anything for what's called the FAC embryo class, like the uh, the Peck Polymers uh, Prairie Bird, um, that's a very good starter plane. It's a little fiddly because it's small size uh, wood and whatnot. Uh, or if you find anything that's for what's called P30 class, uh, those you can hack them together and they'll they'll build very nicely. Uh, that being said, probably the easiest way to get into free flight is to buy a kit from either Valer uh, plans, uh, is Valer products now. Um, either buy from them or lasercutplanes.com. And both of those uh, sources, they produce very simple planes that you can get started with. And then you go on to uh, other stuff uh, once you once you understand the basics of balsa building. And at that point, I would recommend finding the plans on Outer Zone for something called the Golly Walk. And that is a <laughs> that is a rabbit hole you can fall down uh, because there are one design contests all over the world for the Golly Walk, uh, designed in 1938 or 1939. It is a 32-inch uh, span rubber model. So fairly decent size. You can build it heavy, warped, etc. It'll still fly. It will fly great, and you will lose it, so you'll get to build many more. <laughs> and then you will learn to put a timer on it to bring it back down. Uh, and after that, anybody that uh, survives the trauma of losing that plane, I recommend moving on to the old Wakefield designs. Uh, particularly the Dick Corda 1939 winner, um, absolutely fantastic airplane, uh, or one of the Earl Stahl designs. Uh, Earl Stahl was active from 1939 up until his death a few years ago. Uh, actually, probably before 1939. 1936, I think, was the first plan he had published. And anything oh, wow. that he published, it will fly. Um, they're not all easy to build, but they're, they build pretty and they fly great. Hmm. Nice. And I have indeed found on Outer Zone the Gollywalk 2, so I will be adding those plans in to the show notes. If there you go. If you're interested in building one. That's the one. So, uh, Josh, when, when did you start doing this kind of thing? Oh, At what age? Look. 
I started, my first exposure to model aviation was at age two. My mom taught me to build a paper airplane, and she ruined me for life. Um, <laughs> when I was about eight years old, I found my dad's old rocket kits up in the uh, attic with his 40-year-old uh, rocket engines. And Oh, my. Uh, and talked him into helping me set them up and fly them. And the first one set off uh, turned out to be a little higher performer than we expected, and it ended up on the far side of our neighbor's yard. I never actually saw it fly. I pushed the button and saw a bright red flash, and that was the <laughs> last I saw of it until it was on the ground on, in the neighbor's yard uh, because it wow. went stupid high. Um <laughs> And then I found out, I saw in Dad's old magazines that there were these kits for these rocket-powered gliders. And I just, I just geeked out at that point. I was like, got to have one, got to have one. And um, when I was about 11 years old, I finally built one. And then I built another and another and another and another. And I got very good at losing them. Um, <laughs> And started designing my own. And then I found out about free flight uh, when I was about uh, 12 or 13. Uh, yes, yes, boys and girls, when I was 12 or 13, we did have the internet. And uh, I found wait, out. Wait, 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 really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the. Wow, I feel uh, old. That was uh, 1997, I think, was when I started searching the internet for plans. And I found oh, this first gosh. kid was one year old then. <laughs> I was, uh, what was I, 11, 12, 12, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, uh, I found this website by this fellow by the name of Bill Cool. Um, you'll want to put him in the show notes. I, I, he deserves a shout out because I do free flight because of Bill Cool. Uh, his name, last name is spelled K-U-H-L. Um, and he had this little website about these rubber band powered planes he had talking about how they were, he was struggling to get past 50 seconds indoors. Well, I had never had anything fly longer than about 25 seconds. So that was shocking to me. And I followed the links on his website to other websites and discovered that in 1996, uh, Steve Brown had gotten an indoor airplane to fly for one hour. Whoa. Whoa. Yes. Yes, really. And then he had gotten it to do it again. Uh, and oh at that point, that, that pretty much was a turning point in my life. I said, I, I, I want to fly that type of airplane someday. And, of course, now I am. Uh, but I flew outdoor free flight mostly. Uh, I, until I was 19, I had never seen another free flight airplane built by someone that I had not taught how to build them. Oh, wow. And so at age 19, with uh, a very close friend of mine from high school, uh, with my parents driving us up there, we showed up at this contest in North Carolina. And as we were driving up to the flight line, they, it was one of these Flying Aces Club uh, contests, and they were having a mass launch, and it was the final round of the Golden Age Racers mass launch. And I saw these three guys release these scale models, and I had always looked down on scale models because I was like, they only fly for a few seconds. I don't want anything to do with that. I want stuff that really flies. 
And these things took off straight up, straight up, clawing their way up into the upper atmosphere. And I just, my eyes just bugged out. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and uh, we actually did take home some trophies that day. Uh, Justin won second place, and I won first place at the cost of my airplane. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it uh, caught the strongest thermal I had ever imagined possible. He was watching it through binoculars and lost sight of it in less than three minutes, which means oh. it was going up stinking fast. Oh, um, but, but yeah, Was that, that a thunderstorm? <laughs> no, ironically, it wasn't. <laughs> I've, really lost more, I've lost more planes at those contests. I've probably lost over 100 airplanes to thermals in my lifetime. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> That's on track record. <laughs> the the thought of that terrifies me, to be honest with you. That that really bothers me. Pat, you want it something does. to really bother you? You want something to really uh, bother you? Probably not. In the there were there were news reports in the nineteen thirties, more than one news report, of uh ships out at sea recovering model airplanes five hundred miles off coast. Oh wow. No way. The altitude record for a free flight gas model is over 20,000 feet. Wow. Oh, my goodness gracious. The, at the 1935 World Championship, um, uh, that was in the midst of the Great Depression, and a, a fellow by the name of Gordon Light, who became one of the big magazine editors back then, uh, he had shipped his airplane to an airfield in England for this contest, and they had a proxy flyer there who wound his airplane up and let it loose. It took off into a thermal and um, put up a very big flight as far as the recorded flight. You know, they lost sight of it. And the airplane landed at another airfield two hours later. What? <laughs> it gets better. It gets better. Uh, one of the pilots knew, uh, you know, there were, there were a bunch of civilian uh, sport pilots there who uh, knew that there was a, a big model airplane contest occurring, you know, 30 miles away. And so one of those guys picked the airplane up and put it in the back of his uh, Haviland and flew over to this, to this contest and dropped the airplane off. <laughs> and uh, the proxy flyer looked at the score sheet and said... Well, this plane has already won, so I'm not flying it again. Why, why risk it again? So he packed it back into its box. That airplane now hangs in the AMA Museum in Muncie, and it's still in flyable condition. Wow. Oh, really? That's unbelievable. In all of its tissue-covered glory. They should take <laughs> it out and fly that's it. That's awesome. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Still in the Oh, wow. Uh, well... As we said, we, we could literally talk about all of this stuff for hours and hours and hours. Um, and um, I, I could. <laughs> I know I could definitely get into some more of like the design aspects. And I think we can no. save that for another upcoming show. Well, <laughs> I, I know you guys want to get to bed and all that good stuff. But, but you know, I have to say, uh, and I don't want to make this sound insulting people because i know a lot of people when they're first trying to build like a rc plane of their own design or whatever they they struggle but uh making an rc plane fly is really really easy uh, uh compared to one of these f1 planes 
that that's that's challenging. Yeah, I have to. And that it. just absolutely fascinates me. It's just the subtleties, just such minor little things like sanding down the ribs to get a deeper camber when the wing changes shape in the air. That's like the coolest thing ever to me. No, I, I have to agree. And, and it, I have to say real quick, uh, it, you know, hanging out with you and seeing some of the other models that you fly, like the uh, free flight throw chuck gliders and watching them soar around and catch thermals. I mean, that, there's a whole ton of other stuff that you're into other than that and your, your skill and tenacity to want to succeed in all those areas is, is really inspiring and it's always fun to chit chat and hang out with you, Josh. Well, glad to do that. Um, do we want to plug our business real quick? You know, oh, yes. Yeah. Please, yes. Plug, yes. plug, plug, please. I'm a, I'm a shameless plugger. Um, no, we, we, we accept those, and we will blast it in the biggest text that we can on the forum. Yeah, um, and before I mention that, I do want to give one piece of advice. Uh, we've been mentioning the subtleties and all that. The best piece of advice I can give to anybody is find somebody in your part of the world that, that flies these and um, bug them for advice, most of them will give it very happily because uh, most of us free flighters are very isolated. So somebody that gives us attention, uh, we, we eat that <laughs> up. Um, so, so we welcome it. Now, if you get on the world championship level, some of us become a little more tight-lipped. Uh, but, but that's, you know, a few years down the road. Um, Anyway, that being said, uh, after Flight Test did the videos on us uh, early in January of now last year, uh, I started getting requests for kits or something or another for these rocket-powered gliders. So yeah, I was I'm already selling. About those. I was already selling uh, propeller hubs for F1D and F1R, and uh, had just started doing that actually. So we decided to open a business, and we call it J&H Aerospace. It is at jhaerospace.com. Uh, fairly simple little website. We have our propeller hub section where you can select your uh, state-of-the-art propeller hub. And then we have the rocket glider section where we currently have two kits that we sell. We have a free flight rocket glider, uh, which is the Switchblade S. And we have the Switchblade XP, which is a radio-controlled version. Uh, and we're hoping to, after I get uh, my beta tester to get his operational, we're hoping to unleash the Switchblade BC, which is an XP upgraded to 18-millimeter engines, uh, or in layman's terms, more altitude and faster and more flames <laughs> and cooler. Uh, yes, yes. So... Always, you know, that's the way things should be. Uh, but we're also working on a, a new product, which is the Redshift. Uh, I know that's got to be the geekiest name ever, but I thought it was pretty good because it goes stupid fast. Uh, it's a 20-inch wingspan composite uh, rocket glider, fixed wing. Uh, basically, imagine an electric glider except with a rocket engine instead of your electric motor. And at, I love it. At twenty, at twenty inch span, uh, one hundred and fifty miles an hour is what? really fast. Oh my it's goodness! So awesome. 
at 20 inches, you couldn't see it at 150 miles an hour. Uh, oh you can't. Uh, you just gotta. You just gotta really psych yourself up to be very calm and in the zone and peaceful. And you, you know, you have to to conjure up your peaceful self before you fly it, uh, because it the 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 roll rate in in glide is uh, about 360 degrees a second. So at 150 miles an hour, if you wow. think to the right, you've just done three aileron rolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so wow. it's it's uh, and of course w- once you survive that climb out, um, glide is very docile. It's it's very easy airplane to fly, uh, and and the switchblade is as well. It's it's very simple. Um, you know the switchblade is great because. You know the the radio controlled one. You don't have to pilot on it on the way up. Its wings are swung back, and it's just kind of a dart. And then the wings swing out, and it just becomes a you know a two channel trainer basically. Oh, that's uh, right. But the red yeah. shift is not a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I want one. Um, How much do I have to pay for that? Take my money, Josh. <laughs> it's uh, it's the. Okay, so the Switchblade S, the free flight one, is $25. The XP is $60 because we got advanced and used these hollow carbon push rods and fun things like that. The Redshift, when it becomes available, will be $150. And unlike the others, it's not a kit. You will basically take it out of the box. And, of course, there's some things you can specify if you want the wings joined or not. Uh, but if you want it, the you know, the whole shebang, it will be pull it out of the box, uh mount your servos, attach the linkages, and off you go. I want one. I, I'm going to buy great. one. <laughs> okay, uh, cool. I'm going to one as well. I'm by the way, here, you guys fly them. <laughs> here's the really fun bit. Um, I, I actually thought ahead on this design. Amazing. I actually thought ahead on the design. And I made enough room. I made a few compromises on it. One of those is that the pod... Can be it, it, it unscrews from the fuselage and it's actually shock absorbing enough that it that's not a weak spot. Uh, so you can remove the rocket pod and now you've got a glider with enough oh, room cool. up front for a 200 milliamp 2s and an e-flight 5 amp ESC. By the way, those are like 27 bucks I paid for mine. That that hurt pretty bad. Uh, but yeah. then I got one of those. Five gram outrunners off of Banggood, and one of the little Hobby King makes this. I, I, I hate to admit this. Hobby King is the only source for this propeller. It's this 4.2, I think, by 3.3 or something like that. This really tiny folding propeller, and it's very lightweight. And that motor and that prop are perfect together. And so now you have this little miniature hotliner motor glider thing, which is just ridiculous amounts of fun okay now that's more tempting that's more up my street it's uh it's a lot of fun it's it's not a friendly airplane as far as i mean it's it's a little twitchy but oh it's (laughs) it glides forever i had you know (laughs) a 200 milliamp battery is not very much and i was thermaling this thing uh, a while back had a had a 15 minute flight without really trying i mean i was doing stupid stuff up there cavorting around and still kept it up that long oh that's wow. great that's, that's amazing 
So uh, 150 miles so, per hour airplane. He describes this. <laughs> Mike, did you did you want to ask the rocket glider questions, or did well, you want to save just, them? I was I was just gonna gonna ask about them in general. Um, when I saw that video, you know, from uh, flight test and and uh, saw that, I I I knew they were gonna become available, and I have not been on your site yet, so I apologize for that because I will go out. And probably get one of the little rocket glider S, the S kit. Yes. Probably within the next month. Awesome. That thing, no, that thing looked fantastic. It looked like a lot of fun. And I could see the guys up at my club if I decide to join AMA again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they would love it. So, yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that that looked like fun to me just because I've got a pretty big area in my backyard. I just go out there and fire it off. <laughs> Bombs <laughs> away. Yeah. <laughs> just to pretty much. lose a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all right, man. I, you know, that, that looks like fun. It, uh, it is a lot of fun. Um, that is just, it's fantastic. I don't know what else to say about it. I, I love rocket powered stuff. Always have. There's just something about it. Yeah. Well, that's that's the more power thing. I agree. <laughs> You're right. Oh, actually, exactly. there's. Uh, I just found the uh, the the little thing that you put up. Oh wow, that thing looks awesome. I'm gonna link to that. <laughs> that is really, really cool looking. I just found the uh, the redshift on your website. That that looks oh. really neat. Um, and I know this is really, really bad radio for those who aren't looking, but it basically looks like a DLG uh, with the tail really, really tiny on the top. Um, and a big, big rocket motor at the very front. <laughs> so that that looks really cool. I am very curious. It, um, is there a place that you post... Oh, never mind. I was just about to say, is there a place where you post your videos? And I found it. Um, and it's on that same page. So I will save that uh, to watch after the fact. But that's awesome. So I will link to the Redshift uh, rocket glider on the, uh, on the uh, show notes so everyone can see what I'm eyeballing and my eyes are uh, literally watering with excitement right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where can people find you? Have you guys got a Facebook page or, or anything like that? I do have. That you'd well, want to share. Um, you know, I, I welcome people to friend me. Um, I'm Joshua W. Finn on YouTube, and I'm Joshua Finn on Facebook. Um, as far as on Facebook, uh, look for the guy uh, staring longingly into the eyes of his wife under an umbrella. <laughs> you think I'm joking. Yep. I know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a very good photographer and her prices, uh, for me at least, are, are very good. But as far yeah, as the business, um, the website is the only one that we have right now. So, Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure you'll see a lot, a lot of... Uh, a lot of people flocking to it uh, in great interest uh, with this. So thank you guys so much for right. sharing. And your uh, your <laughs> flight test forum name, that's F1D or F? It's FAI hyphen F1. Okay. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I would like, you know, in addition to, obviously I like, 
I like more business funding our future is is fun uh, but also I have spent a lot of time trying to trying to increase participation in free flight because it's it's taken its share of hit from just people not having the the hand-eye coordination anymore to do it because we're not taught to from a young age so the the thing I really want to see is more people flying free flight so if you think that plugging our videos uh, enhances the ch chances of that happening uh, by all means do that uh, do, do whatever's possible the best thing though that I can see is build free flight airplanes if you can if you have time if you have the interest in it and post stuff about it online and 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 talk about it and and plug free flight because it's you know, I, I became an aeronautical engineer because of free flight, honestly. I really did. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely going to build a Gollywag now. Definitely. <laughs> I am well, it, so looking forward to this. It, uh, yeah, it really I'm drives definitely gonna do that. <laughs> it, it drives me crazy to watch my Science Olympiad and TSA kids, my students, uh, build these things and tune them and fly them, and I'm not allowed to play with them. It really yeah. bothers me a lot. <laughs> Yeah, Pat, well, you're gonna have to Pat, get into it. Pat, Pat. Pat. There, there are contests. Come to contests. I know. I, I, you get up here to Lakehurst, and I will meet you there. Well, we are going to. I, I know we will be there next year for team selection. I hope we can make it there this year. If well, not, uh, I will let. A, I will try to make a bunch of noise about when the U.S. Nationals is. Uh, yeah. Supposedly, it's going to be at Western Kentucky University. Uh, another. <laughs> contest that's coming up in uh, in March is the West Baden Springs contest in Indiana. Uh, that's at a Category 3 site. It is a historic hotel. It is beautiful. It was the site of the 1981 World Championships. Uh, can I, I... I don't know what more to say. Just, you gotta come. I will be there. Um, I, I would love to. And for all the people who cannot go to the World Championship in Romania, uh, during the World oh. Championship, there is the Kent State Contest at uh, the Kent Fieldhouse in oh. Ohio, a Category 2 contest. I think it's on Sunday only or something like that. I, I don't know all the details. Um, and this is the point where I need to jump in and say, go to a website called freeflight.org. It is uh, the National Free Flight Society's website. And they have a contest calendar for all the major indoor contests and outdoor uh, throughout the year. Well, and you can find information about that. We, cool. we didn't I, even mention the fact that you, you're going to be representing the United States in Romania this summer, correct? That is, that is true. Um, I am humbled and amazed to be in that position uh that that's really all i know to say about that so, yeah, so yeah, you're no, the real I, deal I you're you're not a slouch <laughs> and, 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 and i and i have a question about that too joshua um okay. is is there is there uh uh um issue with with getting money to go do this or is there a way for maybe us and our listener to be able to donate to help make sure you get there and Anything like that, or I would is love, it, is it all... love for people to pay for me to go. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, hey, I, mean I, I know this thing is not. Like that? I mean, is there uh, anything that you know? I mean, you know, I, I know it's it's 
probably most of that's going to come out of your pocket, I'm guessing. Here's uh, here's what's happening. The AMA is supposedly going to pay for some portion of our travel expenses. We don't know what, but it's going to be a small portion. Um, AMA has not done a good job of funding world championship teams, has basically passed it off onto the special interest groups, such as National Free Flight Society in this case, which NIFAS runs on a shoestring, shoestring budget, so sure. they're not really contributing, so we pay our own way. Um, the good news is uh, a fellow by the name of Bud Lane, who runs a uh, conveyor company up in Kentucky, uh, has signed on as the board chairman for the Indoor Free Flight Contest Board. And supposedly he is going to finance something around maybe 50% of our travel expenses. So that'll be nice. Um, okay. But that's, uh, you know, that's a rare thing for, for that. Historically, it's been basically you assume you're going to go over there and pay your own way. And, yeah, it's not cheap. Yeah, well, I didn't figure so. That's kind of why I was you know, asking because, you know, to me it's, it's important, um, especially for, uh, someone in the FD community that's going to be, you know, representing the United States in the world championships, you know, if there's something that, that people want to do, is there, is there a way for them to maybe get in touch with you to, uh, you know, if they want to donate or whatever? Um, I don't know how that would even work, but. I, I would suggest, um, there are one of three routes. One is obviously they can email me. Um, and contact information through our website or joshuawfinn at gmail.com. Uh, other routes that might be even better would be to contact uh, Nick Ray through his website, which is Indoor News and Views. That should sound familiar because um, Josh Bixler was kind enough to plug that website in the, uh, the second video that they did on, on our work. Uh, and the other is to go straight through the National Free Flight Society because they're always soliciting okay. donations and whatnot, but obviously make clear uh, what you want to donate to. If you want to donate specifically to the F1D team, then it's, you know, make very clear that's where you want your money to go. Cool. Okay. And there are three of you on the team, correct? Oh, cool. There are three of us. There are, actually, there, there are... Uh, nine of us going over there. Uh, okay. Nick Ray is team manager. We have returning world champion uh, Kong Lee, who is separate from the team. We have returning junior world champion Evan Guyette out of, um, I believe he's out of Kansas. And then we have our uh, junior and senior teams. So I, my teammates are former world champion John Kagan, and Brett Sanborn, who is many times national champion and also a uh, silver medalist at the last world championship. And then on the junior team, we have, um, oh, what's his name? Wyatt. Where? Wyatt Ware out of uh, Colorado. Just met him at the world, at the um, team selection contest. So a lot of, a lot of new faces. Um, Joseph, and I'm going to butcher the poor boy's name. Um, apologize to him in advance joseph uh checker or something of that nature uh he is actually the reigning junior f3a world champion um 
and he's going to be going to the F1D World Championships and the F1P World Championships. And his dad goes to these various contests regularly as well. So, uh, what, what age range are we talking about with these juniors? Uh, the juniors, their maximum age, they cannot be over 18 the year of the contest. Oh, I think cool. the youngest one is uh, 15. Yeah, I think Joseph. Oh, that's fantastic. I think that's Joseph. Um, and David Yang is the other um, the other junior team member. He's out of uh, out of California, and he is he is just has I don't know what to say. His, his skills are amazing. He was he was giving the senior team members a run for their money. Wow, <laughs> that's fantastic! All right, very cool. Uh, Thank right. you so much for sharing. Go ahead. So, um, <clears throat> oh, sorry, I'll clear the, uh, can't delete that out. Um, so, <laughs> um, so with that being said, um, I know Pat's going to gush, but I'm totally going to gush for a minute. Um, Josh, it's always a pleasure and a ton of fun chit-chatting with you and uh, finding all of your incredible information out and learning from you. I can't wait to have you on again so we can talk more on all kinds of different fun stuff. Um, and as I said, so will you be at, uh, Flight Fest 16? I am hoping to make it up there. My plan at present is to hoard vacation time to the maximum extent possible, and probably what I will do is I will fly up, uh, to Flight Fest 16 for the weekend or something like that, but I am going to move heaven and earth to, to make sure that I'm up there for at least part of it. Excellent. Very cool. cool can't wait to hang out with you there and so the community gets to meet you and everything as well. Um, and the rest of the team here, uh, I'm, I'm sure, is going to spend a couple of minutes gushing. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and joining us this evening. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you to Hope as well. Thanks, Hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you very absolutely. much. Absolutely. Yeah, I want I want to thank both of you guys for coming on. Uh, uh, incredible, uh, really informative, and now I'm going to have to go out and do some uh, research and so I can get an idea exactly what you all were talking about because I have no clue. But uh, I should be able to talk a little more intelligently the next time we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so, anyway. <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> Mikey, where can people find you? Oh, people can find me on Facebook at Michael Finley, uh, just Michael Finley on Facebook. Uh, I am the magic one on Gmail, which is T-H-E-M-A-J-I-K and the number one at mm -hmm. Gmail and also on Google Plus there and the magic one on the forums, all spelled awesome. the same way. Awesome, awesome. And uh, we're going to link to Mike has his new members, but because there are so many of them, we're just going to throw a general uh, a general welcome up to all of our new members on the show notes. There was a bunch of absolutely. Oh, there's there's a bunch. <laughs> yeah. So thank yeah. you so much for to all the new members for on Mike's behalf. Uh, we'll we'll add those to the show notes. So apologies that we didn't get to that segment this evening. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you? I'm in my basement at the moment. 
<laughs> Squirrel. Play, playing with your stim and still. <laughs> no, no, no. The ASW15 right now. Um, no, I, uh, you can find me on this forums. I'm Teach. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, go under Patrick Sean Murphy. My, my profile pic is me sitting in the cockpit of a steerman, which unfortunately is not mine. Uh, and other than that, social media for me doesn't exist facebook is my thing i have a myspace page somewhere but I haven't looked at it in years that probably doesn't exist anymore i tried to find mine the other day oh really <laughs> yeah it doesn't exist <laughs> um but yeah so people can find me i'm on the forum as jcannon614 uh, you can find me on facebook as joel cannon you can find me on twitter at jcannon614 or flyjacrc is my rc channel you can find me on instagram at jcannon614 and um yeah we also have our oh, by the way guys we hit a milestone on our facebook page we're at oh. 150 likes how many 150 so oh, we hit nice. the 150 can't wait till we get to 200 so make sure you tell your friends i think flight test just hit like a billion or something yeah, four hundred thousand <laughs> subscribers on the Facebook. Yeah. Uh, on their was YouTube it, was channel, it, I'm sorry. That was on the YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah on their YouTube 000. channel, four hundred thousand yeah. subscribers. Really, really yeah. excellent achievement. So great job. And uh, with that being said, um, look forward to episode seven. Uh, we're going to be talking more about our uh, flight uh, test community cast build nights. Uh, we ran our first test with that, um, so we'll be bringing more information about that in the next show, oh, so yes. look forward yes. to that. Uh, Eddie has many, many things to share on that, we'll be continuing to test that. Uh, he has a purple room, too. couple of weeks. Yes, he does. Yeah. A very purple room. I have a very... <laughs> mine is very green, so we'll look forward to seeing that. But... Uh, again, from all of us here at the Flight Test Community Cast, uh, don't forget to like us, share us, Hello, and uh, enjoy uh, all of your RC endeavors this week, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. That's right. Take care. Thank, Thank you, you, everybody. Thank and you. Have, thanks. Have, thanks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs>